of you have seen the most recent Grinch? Just Fiona and Mary Lee. Okay, well, we've got little fingers coming up here. It's okay, be bold, that's all right. It's a, it's a fun little movie. I love this, this scene. This picture here, like, just captures, look how happy this guy is. Isn't he just feeling so wonderful? The problem is, this is a lie, actually, because um, that look of surprise on his face, that's not happiness. That's actually all of his arteries rupturing at having three times the amount of blood suddenly pumping through them all at once. That's why he's clutching his heart. Yeah, I mean, this, this dude's in a very, very serious medical condition. Now, we joke, of course, but this is a lovely movie. It's just a really nice sort of story, right? Because here we've got this... Nice, heartwarming tale from the literary genius Dr. Zeus, unparalleled, he's amazing. And we've got this miserable Scrooge-like character, you know, and he hates Christmas. And he hates everything about it, and he doesn't like it when people are happy because he's not happy. He's miserable, he wants everybody to be miserable. And so he says, you know what, I'm going to reverse Santa this Christmas. And he goes down and in one night steals everything. And he hauls it all up to the top of the hill, and he, then he sits and watches how miserable everyone's going to become. Then, of course, you've seen the clip. He can't believe it. It didn't work. In the words of Dr. Zeus himself, every who in Whoville, the tall and the small, was singing without any presence at all. He hadn't stopped Christmas from coming. It came. Somehow or other, it came just the same. And the Grinch with his Grinch feet ice cold in the snow stood puzzling and puzzling, how could it be so? It came without ribbons, it came without tags, it came without packages, boxes, or bags. He puzzled and puzzled till his puzzler was gone, was sore. Then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't before. Maybe Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas, perhaps, means a little bit more. Right? And as a church, we love this. I mean, we love this story because finally here is a story out in culture that is starting to challenge this sort of materialism, secular materialism that has taken over Christmas, right? We're like, yeah, go get him. Go tell him that Christmas is more than gifts and presents and buying stuff and all of that sort of thing. And it pulls apart all of that and gets down to the real core, the real reason why we have joy in this holiday, and that reason, according to the movie, well, being together with friends and family. And as I read in one article, the indomitable power of optimism. And we're like, ah, so close, so close. Just, ah, we just think. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? I mean, of course, we celebrate being together with friends and family. We love that at Christmas. Right? It is magical and wonderful, but, and we, we really like optimism. But sometimes being with friends and family isn't possible at Christmas. Or sometimes it's really not pleasant. Sometimes it's really not a good idea. And optimism seems sometimes just a little optimistic. Right? There's got to be something more. And we know as a church that there is something more. The story of the Christian faith is that Christmas is about something more than even friends and family and being together and eating lots of food, which is also amazing. We know that the reason we celebrate Christmas is because of this birth of Jesus. 
And again, we lament that the culture has forgotten this. And that the culture has taken Christ out of Christmas. So now it's just miss. And I think our response to this has been trying to reinsert Jesus into culture's sort of peripheral, into their radar, reinsert Jesus into the story, yeah? I, I heard a thing on the radio recently. There's a push to get nativity scenes put up all around the place. So they're asking everybody, put, put a nativity scene in your window or on your car or in your front yard or everywhere so that people will see the nativity scene. And they will see the true meaning of Christmas. And I think there's this expectation that if we do that, that if we show everybody this nativity scene, this birth of baby Jesus, that their hearts will grow three times in size, right? And they will move back towards God. And that people will find that true meaning of Christmas. I'm going to be a little controversial here, but I have my doubts. Now, I'm not against putting up Nativities, do that. That's great. They're wonderful. Uh, I really hope that it will strike up something in people's hearts as they see that scene. But I have my doubts about how effective it's going to be. Simply because the nativity is a picture. It's a symbol. It's a decoration. Now, to us, it's a symbol of something amazing. It's a, it's a picture that points to an event in history that is at the very core of our faith. It, it shapes everything about who we are. The birth of Jesus is, is everything, right? But for most people in the world, it doesn't mean that. They don't know that story. So they see a picture of Mary and Joseph and a baby in a manger, and they think child endangerment, for one, and they just, they, there's no real sense of connection to the story. And those who do understand the story don't really care just because they see the picture. In fact, to a lot of people, it has no more significance to them than, say, a Jewish menorah or an Islamic crescent moon would be to us. It's a symbol. Let me take you back to the movie. In The Grinch, he had this powerful transformational experience, right, that transformed his meaning of Christmas and, and, and changed his heart. But he didn't get that from rifling through all of their decorations and stuff and then finding something that showed the true meaning of Christmas, did he? It came when he heard the genuine, passionate joy that the people down in Whoville had about Christmas. It didn't come from a picture, it came from them. It came from their hearts, their song that poured out of them. That's what changed his heart. Let me put this another way. Imagine we have a Grinch in our culture, a Grinch of our culture that sweeps in one night and just steals everything Christian out of Christmas and just removes it all. Every Christmas carol, every little nativity picture, everything. And it becomes illegal to show any symbol, play any Christian carol, tell any Christian story of Jesus. Takes all of that stuff up the hill and then sits and waits to listen to our misery. What would they hear from us? What song would waft up that hill towards their ears? 
how would the culture see us react? Would our song be complaining and bitterness and anger that our rights had been violated, that this is not fair? Would our song be just a lament that we've descended into misery, we've been oppressed, we've been sidelined, woe is us? Or would they look down and see us standing hand in hand, singing from our hearts the song of joy that comes from the hope and the peace that Jesus brings us? Would that be what they hear from us? Because I will tell you this, only one of those songs is going to change the hearts of people in our community. Only one of those songs is going to make any difference. Only one of them will remind our culture that the real meaning behind Christmas is not about symbols or pictures. It's not even about family or friends. Maybe Christmas, perhaps, is a little bit more. It is our joy expressed at Christmas. It is our our sense of peace and of understanding of what Christmas is all about that pours out of us. That is what's going to tell the world about who Jesus is. And it's something that nothing can, that can never be taken away. But I've got to tell you, that song, that message has to come from a place of genuine faith, of real understanding of who we truly are in God and truly understanding and embracing the hope that Jesus brings. Because if it's not in here, it won't come out there. See, now, you thought that I was going to talk about the Grinch's heart surgery today, didn't you? No, it's, it's ours. It begins with us. The culture will not change until we do. We want our culture to know the true meaning of Christmas. But do we know the true meaning of Christmas? The Bible tells it like this. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory, just bright light, surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will be great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in highest heaven, and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village, and they found Mary and Joseph. And there was a baby lying in the manger. 
After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had told them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all of these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. I want you to note that last verse. They went back glorifying God, praising God, singing praises for everything that they saw. They had that incredible joy. The type that grabs people's attention and makes them want to know more. It says everybody they told were astonished. They couldn't believe it. The hearts of these shepherds were overflowing with praise and thankfulness. This is the song that changes people's hearts. This is the reaction that people have that grows people's hearts three times as big. And the Bible says, right here in this verse, what, what the, uh, that what gave them that joy was the fact that what the angel told them had come true. They had gone and they had seen the baby lying in the manger, but I'm, I'm thinking this is not about just seeing the baby. I mean, it's a pretty cool trick that the angel said, go and you'll find the baby, and it's right there, and they see it, and they're like, whoa, cool magic trip. You know, I mean, I watch magic shows on TV, and I'm like, man, that's awesome. But then I go on. Life doesn't change, right? That's not going to give them that joy. It's not the baby that's in the manger, but what the angel said about who that baby was. That's what got them going. It was the words of the angels in verse 11, where she, they say, the Savior the Messiah is born today. It's really hard for me to kind of pull this out, but for the shepherds, hearing those two names, Savior, Messiah, this would have been absolutely incredible. It's really hard to sum this up because like, we can look at different verses in the Old Testament, the story leading up to Jesus, but... Really, it's the entirety, the the whole story of the Bible that existed at that time. All of the Old Testament, the first section of your Bible leading up to Jesus, all points to the arrival of the Savior, the Messiah. Everything pointed to this. And it carried such desperate hope for them. Hearing the word Savior, for example, would have... It would have elicited memories of um, Isaiah chapter 53, Isaiah's book in the Old Testament had a lot of sort of scriptures about who this Messiah, who this Savior was going to be. This is one of them. It said, He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. Not looking so great so far. It says, We turned our backs on him and we looked the other way. He was despised. We didn't care. Yet, it was our weakness that he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, we're like sheep. We've strayed away. We've left God's path and we've turned to our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. This was, this was an incredible piece of their Bible 
that they would have looked over day after day. Because you've got to remember, from, from their history, right from the very beginning when God created humanity, humanity has rebelled against God. And the system that they were living in at this time, the system that God put in place through the Old Testament, was a system where you had to follow hundreds of rules. And, and you had to do all of these rules in order to be right with God. And you had to offer sacrifices, animal sacrifices, to kind of to get forgiveness for your sins, for the things you've done wrong. I mean, they've been living in this system for thousands of years. They had been trying to follow hundreds and hundreds of rules, and they failed again and again and again. And every time they read the Bible that God had given them, it was a reminder to them that they were never going to be good enough to get to good with God. They were never going to be good enough. It was never going to be enough. And so they pined for someone to come and fix it. And they looked through the Old Testament scriptures and they found this figure, this person, the Savior, who was going to come and take on their punishments so that they and God could be good. They could be reconnected with God. That was their hope. They'd been waiting for this. It was the only hope that they had. They also had another hope in the Messiah. See, ever since um, the Babylonians had conquered Israel about 600 years before the time the angels turned up, in fact, actually even before that, many, many, many times, the people of God had been conquered by other nations. They had been oppressed and they had been enslaved by all of these other countries. And look, it's not just about the pain and, and the difficulty of being slaves to another nation, although that was huge. There was this incredible embarrassment about being subject to other nations. I mean, they worshipped a God who they believed created the whole world. They believed God created everything, that he was powerful over everyone, and yet they are subject to other pagan gods and other pagan nations. It was embarrassing to follow God in that situation. And so they combed through the Bible and they're looking for hope. And they come across passages like this one. In Daniel chapter 7, they're looking for this figure called the Messiah, someone who would be a king, someone who would lead them to victory. And it says in this one, this is from the book of Daniel, looking ahead. It says, As my vision continued that night, I saw someone like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven, this picture of a of a divine character. He approached the ancient one, who is God, and was led into his presence. And check out what happened. The Son of Man character was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all of the nations of the world, all of the people that were hurting them, so that every people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. And his kingdom will never be destroyed. This was a huge, powerful picture of hope. And so these passages, like many others in the Old Testament, this is what they clung to. They've been living difficult lives, waiting for someone to come along. Waiting for God to move and to save them, just like he had done in Egypt when he brought them all out of Egypt. They were waiting for God to do that again. And oh, they waited Generation after generation, they waited. Decades, centuries, 
millennia passed as they waited for God to come and restore his people, to save his people. Like a child counting the minutes until Christmas morning, they waited and they hoped and they hoped and they waited. And then an angel turns up and tells a group of shepherds that tonight, today, it's happened. He's here. The Savior is here. The Messiah is here. Hope has arrived today. Right now, hope is here. Go check it out. And they did, and they saw this baby. The hope of changing their world. They understood what was happening that night. They got it. And it filled their hearts to overflowing with joy, just relief, with thankfulness. Their hearts grew three times in size. They understood what was going on. My question is, do we? Do we get that? Do we understand really what's happening in our lives? It's okay if if that's difficult for you because it's difficult for me sometimes too. We're 2,000 years removed from this. We celebrate this every year, every week, and it's kind of like, yeah, 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 I've heard this all before. Man, to be filled with that joy that conquers everything else. And everything else just pales in comparison. There's a prayer in the New Testament of the Bible written by a guy named Paul. He's talking to his churches. He prays this for them, and I think it's a good prayer for us. He says, I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you may grow in your knowledge of God. This is the key. He says, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given those he has called. His holy people who are as rich and glorious inheritance. So we approach Christmas this year amongst all of the craziness, the busyness, all of the fun, the family, when we actually like being together with family and, and friends and the feasting and the presents and all of that really good stuff. This is my prayer for you. I pray that you would truly understand what this really means, what this baby really means for you. May your heart be filled, flooded with light so that you understand fully the hope that you have because of this event. And may that hope burst out of you in your words, in your actions, in in everything that you do. And may that expression of your hope reach the ears of an aching world. And may they hear and understand through God's help what Christmas truly means. And may their hearts grow towards Him. That's my prayer. It starts with our hearts. It starts with us. Let me pray. Lord, we... um,
sometimes it's really hard to kind of grasp just how amazing the story is. Man, those shepherds, they, they, they got it. They understood. They were living that hardship, and then they were rescued from it. I feel like we've lived the rescued life for so long, we don't realize what we've been rescued from. And Lord, I just ask that you would, as Paul prayed, fill our hearts, help us to understand and embrace the power of hope and peace that can conquer all of the difficulties in this world. Fill our hearts, Lord. Grow our hearts. Help us to understand you more, that we may praise you exactly the way that the angels praised you after they told the shepherds the good news. May that be our praise to you tonight. In your amazing name we pray. Amen.